0: going on everybody I'm AJ and I'm going to break down UFC fight night Santos versus Teixeira uh, but I am not alone when doing so I'm joined by uh, Luke from uh, sparring with reality betting we will be going over this card in full uh, sharing our analysis for the respective matchups we'll go in the order of topology from the first fight of the night all the way on up to the main event which uh, was the aforementioned Tiago Santos taking on Glover Teixeira before doing so just like to let you guys know some information about us. Um, my bets for the event can be tailed at MMAoddsmaker.com on the premium pick section or my website, www.ajsactionpacksportsbets.com on the backslash premium hyphen subscription tab. And all my bets are third-party tracked and verified at betmma.tips backslash anthonys364. Enough about me. I'll turn it over to Luke um who is nice enough to be joining me on this evening to break down this card uh luke how are you doing man and uh thanks for joining me
1: yep thanks aj look forward to uh getting into this one
0: yeah yeah absolutely and um for those of you that aren't familiar with luke uh he does a lot of work from what i said his website but also does a lot of content for mma odds uh including his three not for me which is a very helpful article that uh if you're unsure about certain angles because some people when they gamble they don't feel or they feel the need to kind of force action. Uh but Luke highlights three three whole fights on the entire you know UFC event that he recommends to not bet. Um and he does such a great job because some people aren't really sure what whether or not to force action or not. And Luke does a great job as well as uh other various content that uh, you know he shares amongst the community. Um did I get that right? Is that pretty accurate. If not,
1: let me know. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. I, I thought it was a, kind of an interesting idea because as you touched on, you know, as bettors, we're kind of always looking, looking for all these different spots out there in, in different angles. But, you know, sometimes even on some of these, these other fight nights and whatnot, where, you know, you might might be struggling to, to find plays. But if you've been in the game for a while now, or even if you're just new to betting, it, it's one of the things that I learned, uh, very early on, and that and that's not to force bets. So if you can, if there's certain spots on the card where you just have questions uh, about one fighter, or if there's certain stylistic issues that you see, uh, it's always better to just pass, pass, and not force anything. You know, just especially right now, given with the amount of cards that we have with UFC trying to meet their obligation to ESPN and trying to fit in all these cards before the end of 2020, you guys got plenty of opportunities to find find other bets down the road. So. Uh, I never recommend forcing anything.
0: Yeah, 100%. And um, I um, I agree with that as well, just because it's like a lot of people um, want to gamble just to gamble. I mean, I know that Manpreet had said that when I was on his podcast a couple weeks ago, and that's so true. But uh, the reality is we got a card, you know, once every week up until the end of the year. So yeah, like we touched on, it's just there's no need to force action. And uh, it's always nice to help people out. And uh, before we get into the card, I would just like to say Luke is one of the Uh, people in the industry who gives out his advice uh, for free uh, upon a subscription, I believe to his website. Um, But he is a a long-term winner um, and has his, his content, his bets uh, out there for free uh, upon a subscription, I believe, right? Luke to your uh, mailing list.
1: Yep. Correct. So essentially if, if you guys want to, want to get in on my plays for free, I do release everything out later in the week via my um, article uh, over on my site swrmma.com I run through the entire card top to bottom um, and so I give up my bets there I also give my bets out on the club and sub podcast on Wednesday nights but um, I-, I do like to definitely move in on plays a, a little bit pre-fight week um, I'd say maybe 50 to 60 percent of the time because usually that Sunday post the following week's card um, that that tends to be when a ton of the action starts to move so uh, I-, I will jump in on stuff early so um yeah, if, if you guys can get on that, uh I definitely recommend it that the sign-ups over on my site, swrmma.com, once again. Uh no gimmicks, no BS, no obligations, uh just trying to help you guys win some money.
0: Awesome. Yeah, and speaking of early starts here, we're doing this early in the week, and then let's just get right into the card, shall we? So uh first fight of the night, I'll introduce it. It's uh, Max Griffin taking on Ramiz Brahima. Um, I'll kick it over to you first, Luke, but to me, it's just kind of like a, a striker in, in Griffin taking on a, a grappler matchup. And to me, basically, it just kind of comes down to, can Brahima get the early finish within the first few minutes? I know that Griffin has historically slowed down as well, uh, but I trust his cardio more of the two, and here's why. Uh, similar to Bryce Mitchell, last week we had a guy who had his down, you know, noticeably in his first two fights against Moffin and Diamond, but in that fight against Rosa, even though he was controlling the pace, the tempo in which he pushed, really, you know, made me confident that his cardio was getting a lot better, and he was just getting a lot sharper in the gym. And what I saw out of Griffin against Morono, his cardio just looked a lot better. Um, you know, it wasn't, you know, elite for 15 minutes, uh, but he at least showed to conserve his energy a lot more. He is a, a stronger, more built guy, athletic guy for the weight class, and that was an improvement, whereas with Brahimah, uh, man, that makes me really concerned on tape. And then we got him coming in uh, about a year-and-a-half layoff or so. He does train at seven MMA, which is definitely a very established camp. Could be some optimism there, but uh, what do you see in this matchup?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty much right there with you as well. Just, I guess, anytime there's some of these younger fighters coming in and, uh, you know, even pre, pre-tape or, or pre-analysis per se and just kind of running through their records and you see pretty much nothing but first-round finish, first-round finish, first-round finish, and then you look at, you know, how the, how the guy's losing uh, in his situation. You know, he's lost on the card's. Uh, in both of his pro losses. And in both of those fights, I mean, as you kind of touched on the takeaway was he really only has about around, around and a half of gas at at most. and, And he really starts to suck wind after that. So it's just always, always really disconcerting to me for, for younger fighters when I haven't seen them go out there and win a fight on the cards. And even in saying that, I guess to play devil's advocate against myself, you can't take anything away from the guy for going out there and finishing, finishing everybody in the first round. But as we know, you know, once you get to this UFC level, you know, it's, it's not as easy to go out there and walk through guys. And and in terms of Griffin, you know, you know, I think he's always a guy, who's gotten a little bit of a bad rap necessarily, as you touched on, you know, his gas tank has been questionable, but it's looked better in recent years. He's also just fought a lot of really tough guys um, as well, but Going back to Brahma real quick, I because I just don't necessarily have confidence that assuming he doesn't get Griffin out there out of there within the first you know five minutes, and a guy who's proven to be pretty tough to do so, even in that, um, we just really don't have a, a, a good sample size of him in those extended rounds and even looking good uh, in doing so. I actually do think his hands are are, are pretty decent, but I think I, I kind of classify him as another one of these guys who puts a little too much into every one of his shots. Um, I I think if he just took maybe 30 to 40% off and and just kind of looked to touch guys, I do think he actually does have technical striking acumen um, to have more success there, which I think would give more credence to his gas tank um, in later rounds as well. So for me, it's kind of just to stay away um, and and take more in on uh, Brahma's game because I do think from a technical perspective, uh, striking and on the ground, uh, the guy has some upside, but as we know, uh, if, if, uh, the, uh, the, the cardio goes out the window, so does, so does the technical prowess as well. So I actually do, uh, do like Max Griffin to get it done.
0: Yeah. Closing it out too. I mean, I like him to win as well. It's just like, again, when you have a guy who only has about five minutes of cardio in the fight, and I'm not even necessarily sure that he's the better fighter here, but When you have a more trustworthy fighter in terms of cardio and UFC experience, even though the guy has been on a skid and Max Griffin, it's just more trustworthy of a fighter. And um, it's just whenever I analyze fights, I always kind of look to see why they are the odds are the way they are. And it would seem as though Griffin could perhaps you could somebody could argue maybe he should be a bigger favorite considering what we talked about him. A solid, well-rounded guy. Uh, you said he's mentioned some stout competition, but when I go back on tape and I'm seeing him taken down by like guys like K- Curtis Millinder, uh, that's a concern. And even, you know, against physically strong guys like Perry and Oliveira, of course, as well. But, you know, the takedown defense in the clinch and against the fence makes me concerned because uh, I could see something like that happening where Brahim is a big explosive guy uh, threatening early on. Maybe he takes advantage of something. I don't know, but uh, nonetheless, uh, I'm with you on the side here. I do uh, like Max Griffin to win the matchup.
1: Yeah, and um, real quick, real quick yeah. to AJ, I think this this matchup brings out just like a, a little quick betting tip I want to bring out to to anybody who's you know relatively new uh, to MMA betting or getting into it. Uh, as kind of we touched on with this matchup, is a guy in Brahma who's just not a perennial minute winner when it comes to making bets straight or just looking at props. I think this would be a spot as if you are more on the Brahma side to take a prop, because if you're betting a guy straight to me, you would need to have a certain amount of confidence that he can go out there and win a decision. And we just haven't seen that from Brahma. And obviously you brought up a lot of good points in terms of Griffin in his takedown defense and whatnot. And I think, uh, you know, Brahma definitely has a path to victory here on the ground. Um, But I think you're better off just honestly probably scaling your unit size down a little bit more and just taking better odds at probably his most likely path to victory.
0: Got it. Yeah. And uh, to touch on that real quick, kind of reminds me of uh, Alex Olivera versus uh Shafkat Rachmanov. I might be butchering that name from a couple cards ago. Um, I liked Oliveira to win, but I kind of like the the under two and a half there because of that, that finishing upside. Um, and based on the odds and a few other factors, but um it's a similar spot from that perspective where, like, I'm not super confident in Oliveira there, but I feel pretty good saying that it should probably finish based off the the cardio that uh, Rockman has had and in Oliveira as well, and then uh, the finishing upside that the guys respectively had. So I, I do think that that is a good angle that you brought up. Um, And then yeah, we have a uh, like a kind of a, I guess a prospect versus veteran matchup here. Darren Elkins taking on Eduardo Garagori. You know, Luke, to me, this is a match where, like, Elkin should really win on paper, but, like, I just see the clear regression in terms of, like, his athleticism. He's on a four-fight losing streak after, uh, you know, streaking, getting, you know, good wins there for a bit. You know, he was beating guys like Michael Johnson and Mirsad Bektik there for a while, but his MO for so long was, you know, get beaten up, lose early on, but he's so tough, and he's got so much He's got such great cardio that he's basically able, able to weather the storm of those fighters. And if they get tired and make a mistake, he could capitalize on it. And it seems as though that style has kind of caught up with him, not to say that the guys all of a sudden, you know, has bad cardio or, or he's not tough or anything like that, but you know, he's very susceptible to getting a bloody face uh, due to all the scar tissue. And this is just really a fight where like, I just think he's the more skilled fighter. I mean, at the very least, he should be able to land takedowns on paper. Uh, he's got the wrestling background. Um, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu Brown Belt. Uh, he could even win on the feet uh by just kind of outworking Garagori. I just think he has a much higher work rate of the two. Uh, but like I said, the regression, the age, he's now 36. And um, this is a matchup on paper that he should win. But I also thought that he should have bet. he should have had a lot more success landing takedowns there against Nate Landwehr, who prior to that fight didn't show the best takedown defense, in my personal opinion. And Elkins really struggled to take him down there. So I'm worried from a regression standpoint on Elkins, but that said, he is still going to be the side I will take here because I just think that at the very least, he should be able to land takedowns, get some top control. We saw Garagori taken down there in his UFC debut against Humberto Bond and I, who um, we know on paper Elkins is just vastly better than than his background. So that's basically the way I see it. I think Elkins is the side I am worried about their aggression. It's not a super confident pick, but nonetheless, I'll take Elkins. Uh, What do you see here in this matchup?
1: I'm pretty much right there with you as well. I think if Elkins kind of takes his path to least resistance here uh, and just wrestles, um, I think he will more than justify his price. Um, but if he kind of just tries to sit there and rely on like, you know, old school, tough Darren Elkins, slug it out on the feet. I mean, this Gary guy, you know, he, he can crack, you know, he's got, a, he's got a really nice body kick. Uh, really nice straight, right? Like he really throws everything he throws is pretty much with intent. Uh, so I'm not saying that he's going to come out here and, uh, knock out Elkins. Cause I think that that's been a sentiment towards Darren Elkins, uh, quite a bit over the past years and it largely just hasn't happened. So I can't, I can't sit there and bank on Garagori, uh, knocking him out per se, but as you touched on too, I do think, uh, his work rate is a little bit better. Uh, As well, and from from a stylistic and matchup perspective, I think this is one of the more winnable fights he's getting in recent years. You touched on as well with the Landwehr fight. I thought that Elkins would have a lot more success than he did in that fight. I know a lot of people actually thought he won. It was just kind of one of those back and forth ones that I, I could pretty much see going either way, but you brought up a really good point too, um, in terms of all the scar tissue a- and he pretty much bleeds in every single one of his fights. And that's something I've really tried to take into consideration more this year, just in terms of kind of developing, you know, my, my strategy as a handicapper, you know, judging optics, like we can sit here and and do hours and hours of tape and hours and hours of number crunching. But at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter what we see, it, it matters what the judges see. So it, if there's certain components of guys games that, that just optically don't look good as touched on, maybe like the scar tissue, or maybe he's uh, a Sam Alvey who might just kind of sit behind the black line and not really throw, doesn't optically look great, even though he might still be landing just different things like that, I think need to be taken into consideration. So I definitely see um, the angle for, uh, an Elkins bet here, but Elkins just is not the kind of guy I'd really want to lay uh, two to one on personally. He's he's kind of that junkyard dog that I'd like to get more so at like an undervalued um, type price. Uh, and like I said, if he doesn't take his path, the least resistance here, this fight could play a bit closer than odds indicate. But even in that, uh, I just don't really have. Uh, supreme confidence in, in Garrigori. I think it's a pretty decent step up in comp. So uh, I'm going with Elkins, but, but as, as you touched on, not not a super confident pick either.
0: Understood. Yeah. And I guess to um, add on to like the bloody, the bloody face and hold the whole durability argument. Yeah. It's, it's largely held up, but I am still a little nervous, not necessarily in this matchup, but maybe going forward against the power puncher. Cause like going back and seeing him like rocked uh, multiple times by Ryan Hall, um, That's a concern, Uh, you know, and then obviously Volkanovski's the champ, no no doubt about it, but just how often he was rocked there just repeatedly. And uh, he even looked to be hurt against Landwehr. So um, like we say, he's, he's very durable, but um, I don't think this is a spot, but it's definitely something um, I guess worth monitoring, um, you know, about Elkins going forward. But uh, yeah, I'm with you. He should win here, assuming, uh, especially assuming that he takes that path least resistance with the wrestling there. All right. And then we've got a uh, third fight. We've got Marco Rogério de Lima taking on Alexander Romanoff. Um, just going to touch on it briefly and kick it over to you. Like uh, obviously these two were booked up a few weeks back. We had a, a positive COVID test on the de Lima side, memory serves. And uh, as a result, we had that fight scrapped and we saw Romanoff a couple weeks after, maybe three weeks or so after fight, uh, Roque Martinez finally get his UFC debut out of the way. Um, and it was just so impressive, you know, like it's just nice to have like a a heavyweight that that is his plan. A game plan is to wrestle. We don't see many heavyweights like that, except for maybe like Curtis Blades comes to mind off the top. And that alone kind of makes Romanoff a unique fighter. So uh, I guess I'll kick it over to you right away and ask, do you think that this unique style that Romanoff has and kind of like the susceptibilities that Dilema has shown in the past with his defensive wrestling and grappling? Do you think it's going to be imposing and, and get him away here and odds being justified the way they are?
1: This is just a really super intriguing one in the sense that when these guys were originally booked, uh, you know, the fight was kind of around pick them around 60% um, Romanoff. And I guess I was more so on the Romanoff side, picking based on odds. Uh, like you said, I think there are there is a lot of good things that he brings to the table, especially for this division. Um, but largely his strength of competition has just been so so poor like the the guys he's fighting just really haven't provided um really a ton of resistance so he's kind of been able to look strong and pretty much do anything he wants to guys so my big question going in against delima and i've never been a big Delima guy personally, and it, it, I, I try to be as respectful as possible, but I also have to call a spade a spade. I think the guy is a bit of a quitter when when he's put in some some bad spots. Uh, he's shown to quit, so that's definitely disconcerting in this matchup too. But then again, he also hasn't faced a guy who I who at least has some jujitsu competency and a guy who can really throw hands uh, on the feet. I don't think Romanov closes distance effectively. He just kind of bulls his way in. And that's the one consistent theme that we've at least seen from Dilema at space. I mean, the guy, the guy does hit pretty hard. It's just kind of when he's been put in some of these bad spots, you know, he's, he's getting submitted, but even to his credit, I mean, the guys, guys he's getting submitted by, I think are really competent, um, competent grapplers, Stefan Struve, o- OSP and Gulov, Krylov. I think all guys from like a pure jiu-jitsu standpoint, are much better than Romanoff where, you know, Romanoff will kind of smother on top, but he's like super aggressive. He doesn't really put hooks in. Um, I've seen him lose position quite a bit and I think it's more so his dominance on the ground has just been because he's not fighting guys who really have any ground competency. Um, and so I'm not saying even that if Romanoff, you know, gets this fight down that, um, he won't be able to just, you know pound pound delema out but I, i'm honestly not sold that he he comes out here and submits submits delema uh i guess getting getting full circle here with with the odds kind of being around him early on i think it's just one of these really funky spots in wmma where there are not wmma the mma in general like where there's uh where there's just some recency bias like I, I to me it just doesn't make sense how a guy comes in around 50 60% Two months mu- and then two months later, he fights this one guy who nobody's really heard of, who also wasn't wasn't that uh, good in general, to be frank. And now he's up around seventy five percent. I just think that's that's a little ridiculous. So I actually did end up taking a small shot um, on on Uh I, I just really think Romanov hasn't been overtly tested yet. Like I said, I there are concerns. Uh, quite a bit of concerns from Dilema for me. But then again, if I'm getting a really big plus number, there's times I'm willing to, I guess, concede some of those things to just get some more questions answered. So I guess that's the best way I can classify it as, is just more of a a questions answered kind of fight on uh, Romanov, because I'm still not 100% sold on him.
0: Understood. Yeah. And it's, you know, a legitimate hesitancy to have like a lot of prospects that people were high on in the past, you know, they get really hyped up and then we see them lose and, you know, people are, are kind of disappointed and it's almost like they need to earn back their trust. Uh, like a guy like Johnny Walker comes to mind and there's been plenty of others as well. Um, it's just a thing where um, I guess for me personally, I don't tend to overreact to uh, I guess results in MMA all too much. Um, you know, even if it's something that is, is unforeseen, unpredictable, Um, like we've seen time and time again, flukes happen, you know, some, some stuff that seems unlikely pre the fight playing out happens. And it's just kind of like an acceptance thing, I guess. Um, but for me, yeah, I totally get the hesitancy on Romanoff and it's like, why is he such a big favorite when he only fought one time when he just dominated a guy, um, who he was just so much, uh, bigger than basically and was able to impose that game effortlessly. Um, my thing though, with him in this matchup is I do think he gets by, um against a guy with solid cardio because I do have concerns with Romanov's cardio long term and uh solid takedown defense you know um and you know potentially good countering ability uh like an Overeem or somebody like that uh, as he's closing distance like you said that would make me uh you know pick against him in a respective matchup like if he faced a guy like Overeem or who knows like a Volkov maybe a guy that could give him a lot of resistance with the takedowns um but in this matchup here just like you said the Dilema's tendency of just kind of being put in bad spots and like you alluded to being put in submissions that don't seem like they're super tight I mean yeah they, they're they probably tight to some extent but I, I watch some of them um, you know and it's just like I've seen some tighter uh, submission attempts and he taps quickly and it's just the the guys that he's being taken down by like I don't think that Struve or you know washorek is near the athlete or wrestler is Romanoff and I just see them take Dilema down and I kind of think Romanoff could do the same and you know, maybe that maybe he just gases and Dilema just, uh, you know, gets up afterwards and, and knocks him out, or maybe he knocks him out in an opening exchange when Romanoff's closing distance. But I, I do think that the uh, wrestling and grappling is here uh, for Romanoff. If he doesn't play around too much on the feet, I do think that he should get the fight to the ground and who knows, maybe even get one of his like patented or maybe not, not even patented, but uh, King Kong esque ground and pound stoppages. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, either way i guess it should be a fun fight heavyweights likely to finish the under at one and a half is actually kind of getting bet up now as we speak if i'm not mistaken um but regardless it should be fun should be a quick finish um so on to uh trevin giles and Bevin lewis um yeah Bevin lewis we speaking of prospects like this is another guy i think a lot of people were high on coming into the ufc and i remember the odds with him and uh uri hall actually being open closely and i think come fight time he, uh Bevan lewis actually closes the favorite if i'm not mistaking so a lot of people are very high in him uh trains at the jackson wing camp and i kind of see it man like i see the the skills that this guy has in the stand-up he's very long very tall he will have five inches of reach here three inches taller against giles i think that he just fights better at range he's the more crafty striker of the two i'd say utilizes his more varied tools on a, I guess, more frequent and non-predictable basis. Like, yes, Giles throws kicks, but, like, rarely does he throw kicks, you know. He mainly wants to to box. And just I think that, you know, Lewis, in addition to having success at range, uh, could also have a lot of success in the clinch. I'm really impressed with his clinch game. He's very good positionally in terms of, you know, keeping the opposition against the fence and also in terms of damage, very good knees, elbows, things like that and giles he's got some power um i suppose he could clip lewis like uh hall did but i just am really questionable on on the giles side here there's just times in fights where he just looks like lackadaisical out there like he's he's wooing at the crowd and you know <laughs> right after that against james kraus he's getting caught with a it was an overhand left or overhand right just clean on the face it's like dude what are you doing and then the even the, the zach cummings fight he's just getting caught like Cummings like feints a takedown hands completely down and, and Cummings just hits him with a big shot and then he gets subbed. So I just question like Giles like commitment and it kind of reflects in like his outside the octagon stuff because he's a, a, a police officer, which, which is awesome. But I'm just saying in terms of like commitment to the octagon, you know, when I'm investing in a fighter, you know, from a, from a financial standpoint or just, you know, predicting them, I would like to, um, have that certainty that they're they're all in on fighting and, and some guys yeah they they need to to have a job to to keep up and you know they can't do it financially but it just really question questionable with giles and then just the way he acts and kind of goops off at times in the octagon so for me the pick is is lewis um i know that he's had a couple losses here but you know darren stewart's a tough guy to look good against uh we saw him you know take kevin holland to a split not too long ago and like we see ryan hall very talented fighter uh, was winning that fight basically up until he wasn't. So um, I'm on more Lewis here of the two. Giles has a legit shot to win by knockout, I think, but I think the better round winner will be Bevin Lewis. So uh, what do you see here in in this one?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you, but I, I will say this is going to be one that's uh, in my three not for me this week. Um, you you brought up a lot of good points with Giles. I my my big thing with him is as you touched on. I think there's just too much. I should say too many lull periods. In all of his fights where I just don't feel like hes he really steps on the gas enough, I feel like he'll kind of just oblige guys in in kind of the fights that that they want. Like Cummings is, is a bit of a difficult guy to fight, but yeah, like you said, he got clipped. And then Mearshart, he showed uh, really bad fight IQ in that fight and just going to the ground with him with somewhat consistency when I think he ha- had a relatively clear advantage on the feet, so there was that. And then, you know, the, uh, the Kraus fight, you know, he got um, taken down controlled his, his back taken for nearly the first round. In my opinion, that that Krause decision was uh, one of the worst decisions of the year. In my opinion, I, I thought that was a, a, a W for James Krause. Um, but in regards to Bevan Lewis, as, as you touched on, he's another guy who's been relatively hyped up um, who I definitely see um, s- some merit in his game as well, but he's another guy that I just don't think, has put it all together yet. Uh, he's still a developing guy, only 29, uh, only nine pro fights. Like you said, he did look good against your eye hall before getting caught It's not the first time someone's looked good against your eye hall and then got caught by your eye hall. Um, and even in the Darren Stewart fight, like you said, it's kind of a tough guy to, to look good against. But once again, I still didn't think there was, um, There was enough urgency in that, in that fight. And then against Townsend, you know, it's, he's, he's a relatively easy guy to beat as he just kind of stands there and and doesn't really throw. So ultimately I, I still just have a lot of question, question marks on both guys. Um, but, but I definitely think Lewis has, has the higher upside in this fight. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate on anybody taking a shot on Lewis, but he's another one of those guys that I I'd like to just sit back, uh, and watch a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I hear you on that. And one more thing to, I guess, touch up on is, like, yeah, I mean, Lewis is definitely relatively green, you know, nine pro MMA fights. And, uh, you know, prior to the UFC, there was a lot of quick stoppages there a couple times on the Contender Series. So Giles certainly has the the experience going for him. Um, But one thing I kind of noticed on tape, and it's one thing that I've kind of looked at more closely recently uh, as I've kind of, you know, been digging more in tape is like, I noticed with Lewis, like he tends to excel the most when he is the leader in the striking exchanges, when he's the one going forward, pushing the pace, when yes. he's on his back foot, it seems as though, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he just kind of, that like the, you said, you mentioned like he was kind of not so urgent against uh, Darren Stewart. Darren Stewart was kind of coming at him a lot, forcing a lot of clinch exchanges and that kind of, you know, stifled the the output of Lewis. Whereas, you know, like you said, against Townsend and, and even Hall up until he wasn't winning, when he's able to control the pace, he was doing a lot better job. And with Giles, like I said, just so lackadaisical. He's not a guy that's just going to pressure you. Historically, he's not shown to do that. And so I think that Lewis here uh, should be able to control the, the tempo and the way the fight goes. So um, it, do you have anything to, I guess, touch on that? But that was just one thing I, I noticed on tape.
1: No, I, I'm I'm 100% right there with you. Like I said, based base kind of on just that nugget right there. Uh, I think you can definitely make a case for, for Bevan Lewis being a bigger favorite here, but like I said, it's just, I'm, I'm really trying to scale back, um, my bets on any fighters with less than 10 pro fights, just because I've just been burned so many times over the, over the course of this year by just honestly on uncharacteristic performances, them, you know, just, just not taking their path, the least resistance or, you know, whatever we see on tape, you're like, oh, well, that's what they should do. And then they go out there and they do the complete opposite. I, I I don't know. I To me, it it just, it it just leads to a, to a bit more variance. So if I was to play it, maybe play it small, but I'm trying to kind of, you know, pick and choose my spots, I guess, with, with some of these younger fighters, just cause it's, I've just gotten hit by so much variance this year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Understood. Yeah. Lessons learned. Uh, plenty of them. And I, I've had my fair share throughout the, uh, throughout the year and past couple of years as well. So uh, yeah, totally get you on that. And uh, yeah, so um, I guess uh, definitely a less competitive fight from the betting odds, but uh, we got Giga Chikadze here taking on uh, uh, Jamie or James Krause, like kind of a couple different variations of his first name, uh, Simmons here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, uh, Simmons here, I'll just, I'll just say Jamie Simmons because uh, that's what t- topology says initially. Like he, I mean I'll, I'll just kick it over to you right away but before doing so like he just seems like a guy like an all-or-nothing type fighter like he'll he'll go for takedowns but it's like these like pick you up over your head and slam you take you down like it's not it's not stuff that you see in the ufc at a, at a high clip uh unless if it's you know like jessica andrage or you know daniel cormier picking up alexander Gustafsson back in the day like, it's just very, very taxing on the cardio. And, you know, Giga, I do think that there is a way to beat him, obviously. I was every fighter's got a weakness. But, like, with him in particular, I still am not entirely sold on his defensive wrestling and grappling. But I will say that it has gotten a lot better. And I have to attribute that to, you know, he's working at King's MMA with guys like Vittori, or doom Gaslam, etc. Um, and this fight really should be won or lost in the feet. I mean high level kickboxer in giga. I mean, do you think he really just rolls here?
1: Yeah, t- to be honest, I, I think it's a, I think it's a pretty good spot for him. Kind of like you said, but with, with this Simmons guy, he's kind of an, he's kind of an all or all or nothing guy. And you know, it is MMA. Uh, anything can happen, but he's given up a, a pretty big size advantage here. And he's ultimately, he's going to have to close distance if he's going to be uh, effective in this fight. And I just kind of see that sniper nature of Chikotse, like really rolling through, like even in Simmons's last loss against um, Childers as well. I, I would have been curious to see that one go a little bit longer because I actually have, or I should say, I hold Jake Childers in in pretty high regard. I've, I've made a little bit of money betting on him uh, over an LFA recently. So I I would have been curious to see how he kind of would have fared uh, longer in that one. But as you touched on it's it's another one of these spots with, you know, a guy coming in here and largely finishing finishing fights early against lower level competition. So uh, I've never been the biggest proponent of Giga, but as you touched on, I do think his defensive grappling has improved. Um, And if I should say, if Simmons, if I was confident that Simmons could come out here and, and, you know, push a a super high pace for, for 15 minutes. And even in doing though, even in doing so, I think Chikatsu would still beat him, but I I would give a little bit more credence to Simmons. uh, If I was confident he could do that, but Ultimately, I, I'm just not, I know Giga's largely been a, a decision machine in, in recent years, but, uh, I think he should find, uh, th- this guy's chin at some point in a uh, score finish.
0: Yeah. That last point kind of reminds me of a Hardy versus green last card. Like I realized that, um, from, from my own analysis, like that, that Hardy had been primarily to decision in the UFC, um, you know, obviously there's no problem in that. The guy just wants to win rounds, but, uh, the guy, it, it wasn't like, uh, it was a little bit of recency bias. You know, the guy had won by knockout, uh, but prior, in recent fights, but prior to the UFC, he was this guy that was getting all these knockouts and essentially under a minute. Um, and he was facing a guy against Maurice green, who I had serious concerns about his durability, you know, only being knocked out one time. And, um, you know, we saw like Hardy, I heard him there more than once in that fight and ended up getting the finish. So not, not an after the fact thing or, or that sort of thing. I mean, I, we were all kind of, some people were thinking that beforehand, but uh, for me, I mean, you said it like, you know, a fight where it should be won or lost on the feet. And like, I don't know if you felt the same way, but it almost seemed as though when I was watching Simmons on tape, he just seemed like uncomfortable on the feet. Like he just wanted to kind of stand all the way away and not really engage all that much. Like he was one of these guys that's kind of like all the way out or all the way in. And with Giga's like distance management and like we say, like the high level kickboxing background, like I just think that is going to be like just strike city for him. I mean, I I just think he's going to be able to read this guy coming in and you know, we've seen he could catch it with the knee, like against Rivera. I mean, I just think this is like a, a great fight for Giga. And this, like you said, I would not be surprised to see him get his first finish in the UFC. I mean, the guys that he's been facing have shown to be really tough and, and that sort of thing, very talented fighters like, you know, like Jamal Embers, we've only seen him twice. But uh, this is really a matchup where I do – I am with you. I do think that we could see him get a get a finish here. Um, and you mentioned this, the size discrepancy too, which uh, about like five or six inches depending on, uh, I guess, what source. But topology has about six. So um, I'm with you on that, 100%. Um, and then uh, we've got – Claudia Gadelia taking on Ian Gionan, another like prospect versus veteran type of matchup, if you will. You know, I really think Gionan is really talented, and I do think that she's the better overall striker. I think she's got the more uh, crafty striking. She's got the more varied tools, I'd say. She's got the better cardio and work rate. But Claudia, you know, since moving to New Jersey – or I don't know if she moved to New Jersey, but training in New Jersey – uh, she's really sharpened up her boxing. Like Again, people will say what they want about the Angela Hill split decision. Again, I don't have a hot take either way, but the fact that the fight was as competitive as it was in a fight that was primarily won or lost in a stand-up, a woman like Angela Hill, who we've seen the developments through the years, I mean, I, I really like what I saw out of Claudia. She made very good reads there, uh, very good defense, head movement, just very sharp hands, throws with power. Um, and I do think that while it is fair to, for one to, like, I guess, favor Yan on the feet, I do think that Claudia could get her licks in. Like, again, I do think that she's got sharp boxing, but one thing I noticed with Yan, she doesn't really move her head all that much in striking exchanges. And I think Claudia could tag her up a bit, but where I do think that, uh, can could really edge the scorecards here and maybe even get a finish is with the clinch exchanges. I noticed that Yan gives up the clinch a lot and she's controlled there, um, often by uh, Karolina Kovalkiewicz and uh, the Kylan Cur- current current fight stuck out to me. Um, we've seen Claudia. She's one of the more physically strong women in this weight class. She has been for years um, and she can impose that clinch game. And from the clinch position, I think she could potentially land body lock takedowns um, and in top position, I really do think that she could see, she could get her Brazilian Jiu Jitsu game going A second degree black belt is Claudia Gadelia in, the glimpses of Yan's ground game that we have seen, I do think that there's something for Claudia there to exploit. Again, I I do look at the Carolina fight where she was kind of in that heel hook attempt, kind of was struggling to get out a bit there. Um other sequences and other fights like against Kylan Curran taken down and immediately put in side control or half guard. Like I think if Claudia gets in top position, there's potential for her to get some top control time and who knows advanced position, maybe even get a finish. So um, I do, I am going to ultimately side here with Claudia Gedalia. Big step up for Yan. This is definitely a stout test for Claudia, but in what should be a a fairly competitive fight in the standup, I do think that Claudia could could edge it with her clinch game and uh, potential to wrestle and grapple. So uh, what do you think about this one?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a tough fight to call, but I guess one I think is, is a bit more binary. I think um, Claudia really needs to have, have early wrestling success here. I'm, I'm not saying that, that, you know, Jan will necessarily just completely toast her on the feet, but I think um, Jan's work rate is a little bit better. And I think both girls have shown to be moderately hittable. And, you know, but the, the issue with Jan for me is, yeah, as you touched on, you know, it wasn't that long ago before she was getting taken down twice uh, by Kyle and Curran, who, who isn't exactly the uh, the best female fighter out there in the world in angela hill so i guess to me really the big question is is how much has jan leveled up her her takedown defense because claudia has been like a really interesting case study to me over the years because obviously she's she's extremely talented she has that wrestling she has the jujitsu. like you said her hands her hands are solid but i i kind of i've always classified her as like falling under the uh the Brazilian blueprint of like a really strong first round, kind of like a, a meh second round. And then in the third round, she's just pretty much toast. And there's just been multiple examples of that. So it's always been, I've always had trouble, uh, backing Claudia just because she just historically has never really had three rounds of gas, but in this spot, if she is able to I mean, she's pretty much had early wrestling success in virtually every one of her fights, but it's kind of, you know, when that lull period starts to happen in that second round where, where she's, she's, you know, opponents might be stuffing them or she's having to work a little bit harder that starts to tax the cardio. So, so to me in this matchup, that's kind of where the rubber meets the road. If Claudia is able to get takedowns early and just secure a lot of top time and, you know, Jan's just really not providing much resistance, AKA really helping out Claudia's gas over 15 minutes. I think she's going to look like tremendous amount of value, but you know, on the other side of the coin, if Jan is able to, even if she is taken down early, but if she's able to provide, uh, you know, some resistance and not get extensively controlled, um, I I don't know. I kind of see it, see it being a little bit like the Angela Hill fight where, in my opinion, I scored that for Hill, but I also had Hill by decision at plus three fifty. So maybe I was a bit biased. Uh, but where I think, like the the output of Jan could be the difference, or maybe you know the big power shots of Gedalia could be the difference. So it's a fight. I, I guess I don't really want want to be too invested in. It's it's another fight with a younger fighter where I'd kind of just like to sit back um, and, and take on the improvements. But with with the plus number next to Claudia, uh, I definitely don't hate. Um, anybody taking the shot there.
0: Understood. And um, when, when, as you were talking, I was revisiting my notes here on what the other reference points I had with her takedown defense. And she was also uh, Yan taken down easily by Angela Hill in the clinch. Uh, yep. Gives up double, double underhooks a lot. I mean, it just, it's kind of a concern going into this fight. Like you said, there's definitely uh reason for optimism that she has made those improvements, but um, it's one of those cases where I'd like to um, you know, like to see it first. Um, like you said with Bevan Lewis, you know, the the prospects, the improvements. So um we'll see how it shakes out. I do think that uh Claudia could give Yan a stout test, but I do think that uh on the feet, yes, certainly Yan could out volume her, outwork her, and just use her more varied tools. I could see that path of victory. Um, and then we've got a, a very compelling middleweight fight, in my opinion, Ian Heinish and uh Brandon Allen. Um, before kicking it over to you, like this is just a really fun fight i think it's going to be like a like a lot of scrambles potentially you know brandon allen fights usually um he's kind of like embracing the scramble i mean he he has a lot of confidence i could tell in like his scrambling ability kind of almost reminds me of um you know bryce mitchell in his first couple of ufc fights against Moffin and diamond you know where he's he's giving up takedowns but it's almost like he's just confident in his scrambling ability and, and comfortable in the grappling realm to um you know get out of that and, and work to get in a dominant position and. Ian Heinisch is, is definitely a solid scrambler in his own right. We saw him, um, you know, grapple with very high level Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners in Cesar Vejera and Antonio Carlos Jr. You know, not exactly the same stylistic matchup, but you know, on one hand it is kind of nice for Heinish, knowing that, you know, he could grapple with a, a bigger, uh, higher pedigree Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner and Antonio Carlos Jr. for three rounds and win, uh, going into this matchup though. But, um, Alan is still young enough to be improving only 24, uh, very experienced, but just based off his age and who he trains with, um, he's one of these guys that I do think we could see improvements out of him on a fight to fight basis. So, um, how do you see this one going down? And, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. So going into this one, I didn't, I didn't necessarily think I was going to have a very strong opinion, but after tape actually came out with a, with a decently strong opinion. Uh, I really like Ian Heinish here. Um, as you guys, or I should say, as you touched on with, you know, Cesar Ferreira and ACJ, I mean, those are obviously the two two main fights I focused on where there are definitely, uh, th- there's been definitely points of of Heinish's in all of his fights, I should say, of where, you know, he's kind of struggled with his takedowns. He might throw some naked kicks. They get caught. But uh, even in a guy in ACJ, who I think has of like the best back-taking ability in the division, even when he was able to partially get the back, Heinish uh, showed pretty solid fight IQ and really never let ACJ ever get that far side hook in or even in any of the dominant positions that either of those guys were in, in some capacity, he was never really in trouble, like very deep in, in any of those fights. So I guess it it might be like a a pretty elementary take. Um, I guess my thing is if, if those, if those kind of guys aren't able to submit a guy like Ian Heinrich, I guess I kind of find it hard to believe that, that Allen could, uh, could submit him uh, i'm not saying it's out of the question by any means but the issue i have at least from a, from a betting perspective in allen kind of you know really thriving in that scrambly type of fight um m- maybe maybe that actually is to his benefit here and he might be a little bit more crafty in terms of his jits but to me he just loses position a lot too and in heinish is you know relatively positionally can, uh, sound when he's able to get into you know those top positions so I, I think he can be defensively responsible on, on the on the ground here and not get submitted by Allen. And then in terms of on the feet, I don't want to say the, the levels are massive by any means, but I think uh, I'd give Heinisch a, a relatively decent edge here too. I think Allen's pretty stationary. Uh, he's pretty hittable. Uh, I, I just think the, the kid has, has a little bit of a ways to go. I can't discredit any of his performances. Like going out there and beating a guy like Kevin Holland obviously looks phenomenal and great, but I think that was more so Holland kind of just obliging him in that scrambling type of game, and Holland just ultimately ended up losing in that scrambling type of game. A win over Tom Breeze, that's definitely a good win to have, but we all kind of know that Tom Breeze has also struggled with the mental part of the game and isn't a guy uh, who's particularly confident in there and kind of honestly seemed like he kind of just gave up in that fight too. Um, Ultimately, I I just think it's a, a good spot for Ian Heinisch. I got in on this one a little early. Uh, and got him at plus one twenty four. Uh and so the money's kind of continued to trickle in now. So I, I like I said I wouldn't be surprised with uh with an Allen W here, but it, it's more so of a a questions answered uh kind of thing on Allen as, as I think Heinish, you know, uh he he's he's made some camp moves. He seems to be in a in a better spot. Uh you know, his only two losses are to pretty tough guys, completely different stylistic matchups. Um I I think it's a good spot for Ian. I like him.
0: I agree with like most of what you said, um, I guess, to add on to your points. And I, I too, am predicting Heinisch, Um with Heinisch, I think his wrestling, I did. I do think Heinisch definitely could be taken out. I mean, that's obvious. He's, he's been taken out in the UFC plenty of times, but his wrestling is kind of like deceiving because he's been primarily going up against guys that are very strong grapplers. Like, like we said, ACJ, Fajara, big guys for the weight class, double leg takedown ability, um, Akhmedov and uh, Bronson. Brunson's never been taken down out in the UFC and he's faced guys like Yoel Romero. Um, so it's kind of like more understandable why Heinish hasn't exactly got a lot of his wrestling going. And that's part of the reason why I actually bet him against Mierschart. Um, Obviously it didn't matter. Just played out on the feet. But that was one of the things I thought he had going for him was that his wrestling was being a little bit underrated. I mean, I kind of think Allen, I mean, again, I don't, I don't like to play this whole like overrated over underrated game, but like Allen's wrestling in particular, mainly getting takedowns from the body lock. Like, I do think Heinisch could be taken down, and I do think it's possible he could take Heinisch down from the body lock, but I don't think it'll be – I don't think it'll be easy. Like, I think Heinisch could be taken down, but it's mainly from from double legs, and Heinisch gives you a lot of resistance with those takedowns, and he makes you work. Uh, Like we said, he'll scramble. Um, And in that Holland fight, like, yeah, it was back and forth, but it, you know, ended fairly quickly, the earlier half of the second round. But in the Dawkins fight, when Dawkins really made Allen work – he got him tired, um, and I do think that Heinisch, assuming he doesn't get like subbed in a scramble, because I do, you know, I do favor Allen in terms of pure Brazilian jiu-jitsu um, pedigree, and he he will have some size on Heinisch. Like I just think that Heinisch could really make him work and maybe get in top position. Like you said, we've seen uh, Allen lose a lot of position. It's one of these fights where, or, or one of these fighters in Allen, where I do think he's talented and I like him as a fighter, but. I can't just look at the destination in his fights. I got to look at the journey as well. And he's being put in bad spots often. I mean, he was mounted by Holland. Uh, Like you said, he's just, he kind of stands upright in striking exchanges or or alluded to rather. I do think that Heinisch is the better striker. Um, He's been doing some work at Tiger Muay Thai. So I guess to kind of simply break it down is I just think that Heinisch here is the better athlete, better wrestler, better striker, faster, fought the higher level of opposition. I'd say overall and the better scrambler of the two, I do think that uh, Allen is a very capable scrambler, and he, potentially he could catch uh, Ian Heinish in a rear naked choke in a scramble because we have seen Heinish's back taken before. Albeit, uh, like we said, he's a very good scrambler, but um, that's kind of how I could see Allen win—is he's you know in one of these scrambly fights and maybe catches Ian. But I, I really think Ian's going to make him work and maybe tire him out. Or there's even a chance it plays out on the feet where I just favor Ian there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is a fight where I actually thought we might have differing opinions on based off the odds, and um, I, I get it. Allen's a very talented fighter. A lot of people are high on him, and I like him too, but uh, this is a matchup where I, I tend to think that uh, Hinesh is just going to give him a lot of resistance, assuming that Allen doesn't get him out of there with a sub.
1: Um, yeah, and, and one more quick thing too, AJ, and we'll move on to the next one. Now. We've we spent a decent amount of time on this one, but Allen's another one of these guys who I would kind of classify as a guy who's just gotten away from, uh, with a lot of potential defensive issues in his game where, like I said, he's a tough guy. He's, 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 he's a guy who's not going to give up in there. Like You said he thrives in the scrambles, you know, he's, sh- he's shown a decent chin, but in my opinion, like at this level, you can only kind of get away with that, that stuff for so long. And there's been just numerous examples of that. And once again, props to him, can't take anything away from him, uh, you know, pushing through some tough spots. But uh, I, I just see Ian Heinish not, you know when he makes some of those different types of mistakes and whatnot, I just don't see um, him being able to get away with it. Um, from a guy like Ian Heinisch, especially on the ground, Ian Heinisch has, has really good ground and pound. You have to go back a little bit to his LFA fights um, to to see that because there's been a lot of you know him either in disadvantageous grappling positions or the fights have largely been on the feet. But actually, Heinisch does does really good work in the guard too. So, but anyways, just just wanted to throw that out there out there too.
0: Yeah. Agree. And, uh, I guess one more quick, quick point before going over to Barcelos and Taha is like, Highness, he's like kind of a deceiving grappler in terms of his pedigree. Like you look on Instagram, he's like a purple belt, I believe, but like we see him in fights go roll on the ground with a high level, uh, BJJ black belt. I believe Carlos Jr. is like a third degree one, uh, like a champion. And so, yeah, like an MMA, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner, Highness has certainly got it. So, um, yeah, it should be a fun fight. And, uh, Barcelos and Taha aforementioned, um, so, I get Barcelos being the favorite, and he's going to ultimately be my prediction here. I'm not, oddly enough, I'm not as confident in him as I was in Jack Shore in this matchup, and it's because, like, again, not just the preparation. I think that affects the fight to some extent, but not end all be all. I think the stylistic matchup is more compelling, um, but like also Barcelos's choice, and he's a very good striker. I'm very impressed with his boxing his just choice at times of going large stretches on the feet and not pursuing the takedown. Um, that's a concern I have with, with him in this matchup because Taha, he's a very, a very solid striker as well. I think he's got very good boxing, uh, fast hands hits hard. Like we've seen, I think Barcelos can win on the feet, but if he's choosing to strike with Taha for large periods of time, I think that it could be very close. Um, but he also can make this fight very easy for him, assuming he goes to his takedown game and implements his Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, But going back to my point on shore real quick, obviously it doesn't matter (laughs) the fight isn't, isn't booked anymore, but shore was not willing to play that game. Shore was going to try and not force a takedown, but get the clinch position, take Taha down. Um, But Barcelos here and I get it again, he's very confident in his standup. And I do think he's a very talented boxer, but that is my guess my one fear with Barcelos being a bit big of a favorite as he is, I do think he should be favored. He's got a big advantage on the ground and I do think he can land takedowns here, but the short notice and also his, again, we haven't seen any regression out of him and I couldn't exactly tell. I've seen it. One source said he was 33 and others said 35. So it's something worth monitoring at the Bantamweight division. Um, and we haven't seen him in about a year. So, I have, there's a couple intangible things like enough to where I'm kind of like a little bit pumped the brakes on Barcelos as a big favorite here, but nonetheless, he'll be the side I take uh, as kind of like a long wind, winded intro here, but uh, I'll kick it over to you. Do you think that uh, Barcelos gets it done here despite the, the short notice?
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't have much, much to add. You kind of really hit the nail on the head for me in, in terms of my talking point about him and I guess entertaining the striking exchanges and that's not to say he's a, he's a bad striker. I, I think he's actually a pretty decent striker, but if we're talking about, you know, an- analyzing this matchup and, and establishing different paths to victory by him entertaining these bigger striking exchanges with Taha, you know, Taha can crack man. And I don't think Barcelos's um, striking defense is necessarily great when he enters the pocket. He can be pretty reckless. Um, and so I think in doing so, that's going to give Taha his best chance to win. But as you touched on, if he takes his path to least resistance, um, I think the levels on the ground here are um, pretty, pretty big. I'm not saying Taha's a complete fish out of water on the ground. Um, Cause I've seen some decent things from him, but uh Barcellos is obviously very high level and, you know, even when he's in guard, he'll look to smash to pass, um, and then has a really good back take as well. So, but then again, it comes down to, you know, are you willing to, to lay that kind of a price on a guy who's potentially looking to sit there and trade for extended minutes? And I'm definitely not willing to lay that. Um, so I, I wouldn't hate on anybody taking maybe a little stab on Taha, but a play I'm considering that I haven't played yet is just the under two and a half. Um, because if we are getting some of those extended striking exchanges, um, I think both guys have, have the ability to put each other out. Uh, and then if Barcelos does take his, uh, path, the least resistance and, and, you know, get to this, get this to the ground, I think he'll be able to find a submission at some point. So that kind of checks three out of my four under two and a half boxes. Um, uh, or the criteria, I should say, I like to play four under two and a half for violence bets. Uh, haven't moved in on it yet. Um, but I, I think that might be might be the play here. But then it also could just be one of those scenarios where we just see very little wrestling of Barcelos, and it just turns out to be a three round war um, where where nobody goes out. I've been burned by a couple of those this year too. So uh, I, I haven't decided if I'm going to play it or not yet. But I, I like Barcelos.
0: Understood. Yeah, and I see the argument for for both sides there on why why it can or can't finish. Like they both hit very hard. Uh, we've seen Barcelos knock out guys that have never been knocked out. I'm referring to Kurt Holaboss. So obviously he's got some big power in his hands. Um, hurt Carlos Joachim, a fighter that is, doesn't have a you know a lot of fights in the UFC. Obviously, but guy with good stand up, I'd say. And uh, he was able to to drop huachin uh, prior to getting the stoppage on the ground. And we've seen Taha, it, you know, knock guys out. Uh, before as well you know bruno silva you know guy that has been knocked out a couple times but you know still a tough guy to put away and uh yeah they've shown that big power in their hands so despite them both being very durable i can see it happening but um generally when i when i think that a knockout maybe can or can happen i do kind of look at to see if these guys have been knocked out and neither of them have um and so i do think that more than likely if a finish does happen it probably would come on the ground like you said um And I guess to kind of point some examples to what we were saying about Taha's ground game is, like, it wasn't just the Naramani fight where he had his back taken there uh, twice in round three, once in round one, had both hooks in and round three, mind you. But, again, people could say, you know, whatever, UFC debut, short notice, weight class. But still, like, Naramani compared to Barcelos is like a pure... From a pure grappling standpoint personally uh barcelos edges it there for me in terms of like the credentials that we've seen him have and then also you want to take it a step further and look at the bruno Silva fight where like yeah he went on to win but in that second round there bruno Silva, who uh was at a size disadvantage there and um taha missed weight in that fight was able to control him put taha on his back for about four minutes um so that's a concern like it's just a matter of like what we said uh barcelos's willingness we're not doubting his capability of actually uh getting this fight to the ground and having a lot of success uh if he does so but when is that point in the fight gonna happen um so i guess that would be the closing remarks unless if you have anything else to add on that fight but uh i think we nailed it
1: yeah that's i'm right there with you my man
0: cool um and uh come in event yeah this is uh you know, this is actually a pretty sneaky good card, you know, now that I'm looking up and down it from the main card perspective. And it's, uh, you know, I, I do think it's a very compelling co-main event as well. I mean, Tanner, Tanner Boser is another, I guess, prospect that they're kind of matching up Arlovsky with. We've seen Arlovsky just through the past few years match up with so many prospects. And uh, this is kind of a, a similar deal, you know, even though Boser's so experienced in terms of his you know, entire MMA career, he's got over 20. Pro fights for crying out loud. He's on a, a an MMA prospect in general, but in terms of UFC, we've only seen him fighting there a few times. You know, only loss coming against Cyril Gaon. Who um, I, I don't know if you agree with this point, but I, we could argue that the dude is very talented and could get even better, which is very scary. So um, <laughs> it's no shame in that loss at all for Bozer. But uh, since then, he's looked great. Um, he's been um, you know more so known as a decision guy, but he's been showing some power in his hands. And I really like Bozer's game because he's like a round winner. You know, the guy is very good at sticking and moving on the outside. He'll attack the leg. He's very good at, like, not exchanging in the pocket. And it's just a very smart, uh, you know, not defensive-minded exclusively game, but, you know, you know, stick and move, just make sure that he's hitting you, but you're not hitting him a lot, and showing good cardio and uh, having a good chin, you know, part of the reason why I think he has such good durability is because, again, that fighting style that he implements of not uh, taking too many shots. Where um, on the Arlovsky side, we've seen Arlovsky – um you know in recent years if you can't knock the guy out he tends to be uh competitive i mean maybe not super competitive with a lot of fighters but competitive nonetheless he's still a, a technical striker he'll still uh, vary his attack he'll uh push push high pace at times it, he's kind of like a, a rhythm fighter i'd say is arlovsky um so if this fight does not finish and i think it more likely come from bozer if he gets if the finish does materialize here because it's just been so long since we've seen an arlovsky knockout um, and our, plus is just the, the less durable fighter of the two. I think we could agree there. But, uh, if it doesn't, uh, if a knockout doesn't materialize, I actually still do think that Boser could win on the cards. I just think he's a bit more active. He could control the tempo. I think he's the more defensively sound striker. And I think he's got, uh, the better cardio and he's just much closer to the prime of his career of the two, I'd say. So, um, for, for me, it's Boser. Uh, I think the odds, uh, of him, the, you know, him being a favorite here makes sense. So, uh, Boser's going to be the side I'll take.
1: Yeah, I guess a, a bit of a contrarian take. Um, I don't want to say I love Arlovsky here. Uh, once again, like the my whole entire opinion is is predicated solely based on the numbers. And and as you touched on with Bowser, as you t- at least with what I like that you touched on, in the sense that, you know, the guy comes out there and he, he does win minutes. You know, he's not he's not this heavyweight that's that's you know, round one finish or bust. He can go out there and I'll win a decision, but I've also seen him get outworked on the cards too before. And, you know, what's interesting about this stylistic clash is I think both guys kind of really play the outside game, I think pretty well. And so to me, it comes down to how much success can Bozer really have with those leg kicks to nullify kind of that darting in and out Andre Arlovsky type nature. Cause I think that's one thing Arlovsky just doesn't get enough credit for. Like, I mean, you can obviously run down, uh, the guy's record in recent years and, and it's not particularly great, but one thing I've always given Arlovsky credit for in recent years is his ability of not being as you know aggressive as he was in years prior. And when he started to eat a bunch of knockouts, he kind of adapted his style to, to be a more point fighting style, to be a more patient uh, type of guy. Cause earlier on in his career, he was a lot more aggressive. Um, like I said, even though he still has taken a lot of losses, but, uh, a- as you touched on, you know, some of these fights have been, have been pretty close as well. I was on him against Felipe Lins at a, at a pretty decent plus number. And I think this could be just one of those spots where, uh, we see a, you know, relatively low volume, you know, kickboxing type match. And so with that being said, I just don't, I don't really understand Bozer being this big of a favorite. Um, Personally, like you said, maybe, maybe he can come out here uh, and finish Arlovsky. Arlovsky has had some durability questions, but you know, Arlovsky also outside of that uh, Rosenstrike fight where he got knocked out right away, he hadn't been knocked out in like almost 10 pro fights prior to that. Um, And once again, with Bozer historically not being this, this perennial knockout artist per se, he's more of an outside, you know, pick you apart kind of guy. So if he kind of obliges Arlovsky in that game and Arlovsky is able to check kicks and kind of keep his like flow state, I think it's a pretty competitive uh, decision. Once again, I'm not saying Arlovski's necessarily going to win, but once again, guys, we're not betting fighters. We're not betting numbers. We're betting fighters at numbers. And to me, Andre Arlovsky at like 30% indication, I think is, is a little crazy, but then again, I'm a bit of an Arlovsky tr- truther. I- I've given him a little bit more credence than most in recent years. Um, I-, I just think he's, he's a tough guy to fight. And, and this is going to be a close one.
0: I understand it. I mean, you know, even being on the other side here, like it's just Arlovsky still at this stage of his career, it kind of reminds me of Overing to a certain extent, like yep. even though he's past his prime, he's still got like all the technical tools in place to, to compete. And if you can't finish the guy, Um, like you said, we've seen him be very competitive and and win against, uh, guys that are are much younger than him. Um, and to, I guess, finish up on this fight is one thing where I could see this fight where after the fact, like it goes to decision where we're kind of going in hindsight, like maybe Bozer's chances of winning this fight by knockout were a bit overrated just based on the fact that he was coming off a couple, uh stoppage victories when prior then he was you know a heavyweight who had finished fights prior but a lot of the times he had been to decision and uh like you said outside of the rosenstruck fight um Arlowski had uh, for several times in, in the past few years had been to decision so i totally get that argument it is a total spot where i could see us going in hindsight like hey boser wasn't really that likely to finish uh this fight maybe it was just the fact that he was coming off some fights or he was just a much better striker than those guys um that he was able to win or whatever the reason was just more durable just read a good counter. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, we are rather on the, uh, main event. So Santos and Teixeira, um, you know, this is kind of like, uh, not my personal best breakdown of the card in that it just, I think personally, it kind of all depends on where Santos is at. And I kind of said the same thing with Strickland, uh, last card, and I believe you cashed on him. So that's awesome. Um, but like for me, it was a little different with their betting strategy, but with these guys, uh coming off like these serious intangible type um occurrences like obviously strickland had the motorcycle accident unfortunately he came back he looked great he answered some questions santos had uh, a lot of injuries there uh from the jones fight and you know just uh i have a link here from shirt sure dog just the MRI revealed uh multiple torn ligaments in the left knee of santos and i mean the guy toughest nails just went on I mean, the injury happened around like round 2 I believe, but he still went on to to fight and go to a split decision with John Jones. People would say what they want about John Jones, the poor performance that he put out, but in terms of Santos's heart, his toughness, his willingness to win despite a serious injury, that was really impressive. But you know, the time away uh from the octagon makes me ner- makes me nervous in that regard and I just think it all kind of depends on what version of San uh Santos we're getting here because If we're getting anything close to the guy that we're used to seeing, I actually do think this is a very winnable matchup for him. Like Glover Teixeira, same type of deal, tough as nails. Uh, Guy's got like a championship level mindset, even though he hasn't uh, held the belt in the UFC. Um, But it's just his tendency in recent fights of just starting slow. Like I'm going back on tape and I'm seeing him hurt by, by Roberson in Kudalaba in round one. And he he kind of had to weather the storm in those fights and kind of capitalize on a mistake or or the fighter was getting tired. Um, and then you look at the Nikita Krylov fight where the, the movement, the excessive movement, the lateral movement of Krylov was really frustrating. to Teixeira, I could see Santos doing the same thing. We've seen the guy enough times. He's very fast, athletic. He will move a lot. Um, there was just a lot of things on tape that I saw from Teixeira addition to that, you know, his ineffectiveness with his wrestling recently that lead me to believe that Early on, assuming that Santos kind of carries on his MO of starting fast, he's got like a legit shot to win by stoppage here. Just I think a kicking range, Santos uh, will just be able to, to do a lot of damage. Um, I know that Glover's only been knocked out a few times, three or four, I believe. But just, you know, seeing him rocked by uh, Kutalaba, you know, even Kananir a few years back. I, we know Santos is arguably, if not the most dangerous guy in this division. I think he's got a legit shot to win by knockout. Obviously, Glover's not out of this fight. I think he could have success, particularly with his with his hands, his boxing, if he gets up close. Um, but I just think that that movement of Santos, assuming he comes in with that game plan of kind of just sticking on the outside, staying at kicking range, he could really uh, do some damage there. Uh, Glover could, of course, of course, have success in top position because I do think he's a better pure grappler of the two. But like I say, I just. I really question his lack of uh, effectiveness with wrestling in re- recent fights, even though I do have some questions about Santos's wrestling. So it, it's kind of a lame breakdown on my part. And that's, again, it all kind of depends on where Santos is at for me. If we're getting near the guy that we're used to seeing, I think he wins. Uh, but if not, uh, you know, the injuries, the layoff affects him. I do think that Glover could potentially play spoiler, but even then, um, again, I can't question Santos's heart. He could still win despite uh, maybe the intangibles affecting him. So um, do you have a more like a, uh, Sure, lean on this fight than I do, or um, what say you basically like uh, Santos or Teixeira?
1: Yeah, I definitely not, not a sure thing for me. I'll preface off the top by saying I have been consistently wrong in picking Glover Teixeira fights over the years. Uh, I, I bet Corey Anderson against him, uh, thank god, but then I followed that with bets on Roberson and Kutalaba against him, as you touched on. There were definitely some hairy moments. Uh, for to share in those fights, but he was kind of able able to weather the storm and uh capitalize on on some more greener guys on on the ground uh but but I guess I want to go back to the to the injury point with Santos too, in making any sort of comparison with with Strickland from from last week. I guess when it comes to at least knee injuries uh my biggest thing is more so questioning has has the guy been like an explosive type fighter in the past where like sean strickland hasn't really met that mo he's more of kind of just your range volume technical boxer type of guy with some good jujitsu um so that that didn't really the whole car accident didn't didn't play as big of a factor for me but in terms of santos we all know tiago santos is his game is, is predicated on his his explosive nature so i definitely factor in the, the knee injury a a lot more. Um, but just in general, from a stylistic perspective, I I think it's pretty cut and dry that, that Santos should probably smoke him on the feet, but there's also a lot of discouraging things I've seen from Tiago Santos on the ground over his career too. Like Eric Anders had his back multiple times and, and, you know, Eric Anders isn't necessarily known for, um, his excellent grappling. He's more of a, you know, southpaw stand up, uh, in your face, hard hitting type guy. Uh, Eric Spicely, obviously, a, a a very good, um, good grappler, um, but was able to take his back a few other examples too. I just, I don't, I don't like a ton of what I've seen from Santos on the ground. So if Glover is able to take him down, I think there's pretty, I'd, I don't want to say massive levels there, but I, I would say pretty clear levels that if Glover is able to kind of survive those big blitzes and get him down, uh, I think Santos is probably in, in a lot of trouble. But then again, Glover's 41 Santos coming off the injury. To me, it just seems kind of like a, a high variance kind of spot potentially. And as touched on off the top, I've just been, consistently wrong and, and underestimating Glover to share over the years. So I would be far from surprised here if, if, but by me putting the, uh, the Santos stamp on and he comes out here, uh, survives an early barrage, gets the fights fight down, takes his back and chokes him out. I'd, I'd be far from surprised, but I, I, I just, at this point in his career, man, I just, I don't, I can't trust him at 41 with my money. I just can't do it. Understood.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, It is like a regression thing i do i do think like yeah he's been going on a win streak and these have been very good wins by him but um it's just like from an athleticism standpoint just from a you know a damage standpoint just him starting slow um i know we we kind of left out the anthony smith fight but even going back and watching that on tape i mean smith was was doing a lot of work uh, yep. in terms of the striking up until uh, he, he got really tired. And so that's my worry with Teixeira and picking a lot of guys in fights where they kind of need to weather the storm to kind of win. It kind of reminds me, I, I bring up the guys examples all the time, but guys like, uh, you know, like a Louis Smolka or like a like a Gerald Mearshart. Like, yeah, they're very tough and they will capitalize on a mistake. But then when I go back and watch them on tape and they're kind of getting dominated early, it's just kind of hard for me to be a lot of confident in and, and not even. Betting them but before then just picking a side, knowing that like hey they got this mo of kind of getting beaten up early and then they kind of you know get the opposition gets tired or they they get an error or even another guy that we talked about on this card darren elkins it's just hard to have a lot of conviction and in, in taking those guys and yeah glover hasn't been like that guy throughout his whole career but just at the, the stage he's at right now um yeah it's it's just really tough for me to side with him uh, in this particular matchup against a guy who's historically shown to be a fast starter and, and better athlete and better kickboxer in, in Tiago Santos here. So, um, yeah, I mean, fun main event, though. Uh, it looks like uh, Israel is going to be moving up and fighting Blahovitz, which is pretty, pretty interesting. But, uh, I mean, on paper, this is like a number one light heavyweight contender fight. Um, so the way I see it is if, hey, if Israel and Jan fight, then, I mean, I would think that the winner of this fight gets – the following shot so either way we've got some clarity so there's definitely uh implications with this this main event I'd say um I would say say more so than um you know like last week we're like yeah your hall has been on some momentum but uh you know he maybe needs like a couple more wins to to get another uh or to get a title shot against Israel so I'm looking forward to this event man and uh yeah um that's the whole card man and uh got this through in record time um I thank you for joining me and um With this, um, yeah, maybe we do something like this in the future. It was a lot of fun, and uh, thanks, Luke. Is there uh, anything you'd like to share at the end? Closing remarks,
1: uh, just just thanks for having me on, man. I I like jumping on you know some of these other shows or and and, you know talking to my club and sub boys every week and, and just getting different different perspectives um because sometimes you know as betters we we kind of do our deep dive and our due diligence into tape and you know just even through just a, a a sentence or two or a remark from someone else can can make you you know necessarily say question your entire analysis but maybe just look at something from from a different point of view that that you weren't seeing seeing before so i, I always like talking to uh to different betters so thanks for having me on man
0: yeah, likewise. And uh, like you said, the club and sub podcasts, they usually uh, go on live around like uh, Wednesday in the evening. Um And I, I watch them <clears throat> on a weekly basis, sharp guys there. And uh, like Luke said, everybody in this um, industry has a unique perspective on when they analyze fights. That's why I'm not so... You know, I don't come from the same point of like, oh, this person has bad analysis or they're they're automatically wrong because like maybe they just see something that I don't see. I mean, who knows? I mean, we're, we're all we're all seeing a uh, tape through a different set of, set of eyes at the end of the day and looking at different information, sometimes the same. But, um, yeah, it's cool to get everybody's perspective. And, uh, yeah, man, uh, that'll do it on this breakdown. And uh, good luck this week.
1: Thanks, AJ. You too, man.
0: Take care.